Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much, as always, for being here. Preseason is heating up. The team are in Germany preparing for a game against FC Nuremberg um, on Friday, which is tomorrow when I'm recording this. It could be today when you're listening to it or indeed yesterday depending on whenever it is you get around to listening to this particular episode. The first part of the week, exciting. We've got Gabriel Jesus over the line, done and dusted. And you know what? It's one of those where so much has been said in the last couple of weeks that you almost have to just sort of draw a line underneath it after you uh, discuss the official announcement, which we did on Monday on the Arscast Extra uh, with Tim, who was filling in for James, who was on his holidays. But since then... Not much has happened that can be talked about. Uh, Nothing has happened publicly in terms of transfers or anything like that. So rather than rehash rumors and talk about, you know, which position is most important to do a signing in, do a signing, make a signing in, whatever way you want to put it, uh, I thought we might do something a little bit different on today's show. And I'm delighted to welcome somebody who was, until a few months ago, the digital content manager of Arsenal.com. He'd worked at the club for well over 10 years, so I thought it might be nice to talk to Rob Kelly. Hi, Rob. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you uh, for being here today. So it's it's interesting to talk to an Arsenal fan who works for Arsenal. And uh, how did you come about the job at, at Arsenal.com? Was it a, a journalistic background that brought you there? And, and uh, when did you first get your start? Yes, yeah, so I started in uh, journalism on a series of pretty small fry local newspapers reporting on very, very little and um, and then sort of worked my way up a bit and then worked for the Daily Telegraph for two and a half pretty unhappy years. <laughs> I'm not a great fan of their politics. I'm less, was less keen on the hours I had to work, which was like four till midnight, which is pretty grim. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, the, the job at Arsenal came up and... I've, yeah, I've been an Arsenal fan since I was five, so I sort of went for it, thinking, "Christ, you know, this is this is the dream job. It really is." And um, yeah, lucky enough to get it. And, and and to be honest with you, it really was. It lived up to expectations. Everything I wanted it to be. It was. Uh, it was as good as I hoped it would be. And listen, I, I mean, I should say. I now no longer work for Arsenal, so I, <laughs> no one has got a gun to my head to say it was brilliant anymore. <laughs> I've, I've done enough spin for the club over the last uh, 10 years. <laughs> it really was. It was an amazing job. It was an amazing job. So w- when did you start? What year did you start? Uh, it was December 2011, so just before. I don't know what on earth happened in that January trans- transfer window, tw- the 20, 2012 one. Um, I've got a feeling there were a few signings in then. But it was, yeah, we weren't great, were we, <laughs> as a team? Uh, I'm talking about the football team rather than sure. the uh, content. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that comes after the summer of 2011, which was fairly uh, tumultuous and, and what have you. So, I mean, what were, what were um, you know, when you come to a club like Arsenal and, you know, you're working there and all of a sudden, like, I think I would be, starstruck in a way if I was to go in there and start working there now and you're interviewing players and you're interviewing the manager and of course Arsene Wenger was there at the time I mean was that Mm. something you just kind of had to get on with pretty quickly was it was it um a bit you know were you all struck at any point 
Um, I wasn't awestruck by the players, mainly because I don't think I really rated a lot of them. But um, <laughs> like I, uh, I was very awestruck by Arsene Wenger. But to be honest with you, the way that uh, when I first joined, I wasn't really allowed near Arsene Wenger. The guy who was in charge very much did all the interviews with Arsene. And then when he left, it sort of then that's when I got my chance. Um, but, you know, when you walk in, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, it's, it sounds cliche to say, but, you know, like I say, I've been a real huge Arsenal fan since I was five. So when your contract comes through the post, it's got the Arsenal badge on the front and then mm. you, you sort of send little bits of kit like polo shirts. You're like, bloody hell, this is this is actually happening. This is amazing. And then you, you start and then you go along to the games. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to sit in the, in the press box at, at games and, that's when you think, Christ, this is this is a pretty cool job, you know. Yeah. You know, the, you know, it was it was pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, once I started sort of, you know, being sort of entrusted, I, I spent like a lot of the first two, probably two years, really working with the the youth team, like the under eighteens and the twenty ones, as they were then, rather than the twenty threes. So you'd go on next gen trips. I used to speak to Hector Bellerin a lot on those trips, um, probably because you know. I had a brain and he did. <laughs> like he, he was happy to uh, have a chat yeah. with uh, someone. And, you know, he was he was a lovely guy then. He's only 16 and, you know, he's probably thinking, Christ, who's this prematurely balding guy at the age of 30? He's, he's tagging <laughs> along on our trip. But, you know, there were some really good young players coming through then. Chuba Akpom was um, another guy I used to get on well with. You know, there was some, some good young talent. But Hexel was the one, you know, that he stood out at that time thinking, Christ, this guy's good. This guy's this guy's got the lot. And mm. I remember going to uh, Lake Como for the next gen final in uh, I don't know. I'm guessing around 2013 or something like that, maybe 2014. And we, they played Chelsea in the final, and Chelsea had just had a load of amazing players. Ruben Loftus Cheek was there, right? And yeah, it was. You know, I wasn't working on first team, but it was pretty cool. You know, especially at a club like Arsenal where. There's so much emphasis on youth. It felt like you know you were you were. Ha- I was happy to be an ITK among my mates who were Arsenal fans. Say, so, oh yeah, you want to check out this guy Hector coming through? He's pretty good. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was a nice it was a nice uh, landing in terms of you know I wasn't just chucked in at the deep end like his Arsenal make a go. Yeah. Um, and I think there is a bit more of that these days because of the way things are structured and they're trying to give everyone a chance to experience what it is. Um, but I was quite glad of that because even though I had a bit of journalism experience, I think I, I genuinely think I would have frozen if I'd spoken to Arsene Wenger in those first two years. Yeah. You know, it's like my second dad, you know. <laughs> so they <laughs> put you, I, yeah. yeah, it's basically like uh, the, you, you were put through the academy journalistically with the, with the academy uh, boys. So Yeah, exactly. And look at me now, I've sort of done an Adebayor and asked for a transfer away from the <laughs> Well, we might come to that at, at a later stage, yeah. but but I, I guess it gives you like any job you go into, you have to learn. You have to learn what the what the way things work and and everything else. But can you can you remember back to twenty eleven? Because I can't. I mean, you know, on a very vague basis, I can. But like, you know, Arsenal.com, obviously the official portal, the homepage of of the club and everything else. But it feels like even though it was only twenty eleven quite a long time ago in digital terms, if you like, in the kind of content that was being um, produced and, and, and how it was being consumed as well. Yeah. And yeah, when I joined .com was very much the, the focus. Mm. It was, you know, we had a Twitter account. I think it was at like 1.8 million. And what are we now? We're at just shy of 20 million. I think something like that. Right. Maybe, maybe they've passed 20 million now. So, um, and there's no Instagram. We didn't have a YouTube channel. Uh, there was, you know, all the all the other platforms. You know, essentially it was Twitter and .com really at that time. So the way it was, yeah, it was pretty sort of single-minded in terms. Of, this is how we service it. But then obviously the years go by, new platforms come out, and there's this sort of tension between right, what do you hold back for .com, knowing that audience behaviour is that you know they want to, you know, you need to go to where your audiences are really. So the role sort of expanded hugely beyond beyond dot com to like you know sort of overseeing a lot of content and working out and signing off. Sorry, my role became sort of overseeing content and sort of driving certain content strands and working with the video team and mm. you know so you know, you know there was a huge move away from the written form to video form and that's just the way that digital media has you know developed over time and uh, yeah so it's it 
it, it almost bears no resemblance to the job that I left uh, four months ago to when I started in the end of 2011. It was totally, totally different. Yeah. And I mean, that is partly because of technology as well, that like everybody's got everything in their pocket now. Um, you know, I remember when Arsblog started 20 years ago, it was literally just a website and then we had the mailing list and then the social platforms come along and you've got to kind of give people what they want, where they want it, even if you want to try and keep things uh, exclusive in a way. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you use a good phrase there. But, and actually, one of the guys, Carl, one of my good mates who was head of video, actually got a t-shirt printed off with you know whatever the the acronym is but you've got to give the people what they want when they want on on the front of it because we were just it became you know the team grows but and the demands of the fans obviously grow Mm. and then there's obviously this sort of there's a tension between what the club we're almost on the front line if you like which sounds very grandiose way of saying you work in social we're on the front line of you see what the fans want and Mm. the great thing about social is it's very democratic. They tell you exactly what they want, and it's always fucking signings. But <laughs> <laughs> or an announcement. <laughs> um, but they tell you what they want. You know, I'm really proud of some of the content strands that we brought out, like bench cam and open mic we brought out in recent years. And we were, we were only sort of able to bring out some of them because uh, social so democratic and you can see the feedback and it's not just about pure numbers they were very high performing numbers anyway um uh content strands anyway in terms of the numbers they're delivering but when you see the um the feedback from the fans you're like right well this you know it's great working in social because you get that very honest feedback um and that was great so sometimes that can help convince you know internal stakeholders that listen we sort of you know we do know what we're talking about when we're suggesting this because a fan, you know, you might just spot something that a fan says on social and think, oh, that's good. And then how do you develop that into an Arsenal, mm. uh, something that's very Arsenal-ified or whatever whatever the phrase Arsene Wenger used to use. Arsenalization, was it? I can't remember. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it was, it's it's a, a very interesting role. It Where it gets, where it always got tense is when, uh, you know, the team went to shit basically for, for three or four games and, you know, you have all this great content. You're like, well, we can't put this out now. Yeah. And then you, but, you, but you also can't go quiet because there is there is a, a need to serve the fans, not just for algorithmic reasons on these social platforms, but just because, you know, you just can't, you know, you, you might post and everyone tells you to shut up and they'll be quiet. And I know everybody got sick of, and quite rightly got sick of, you know, the, oh, you know, the, the same old stock stories that appear on dot com of you know we'll we'll learn the lessons of this one you know it's sort of Theo Walcott Theo Walcott's um, stock phrase wasn't it something like that you know yeah I have um... we'll, we'll, we had a fucking team meeting and we'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I had like, in my notes here, just, you know, before we were talking and we're sort of jumping all over the place, but this is great. Like I had Johan Juru down because I I remember a period where when a game was lost, he was the guy front and center saying that wasn't good enough. We'll go back to the training ground. We'll work harder, et cetera, et cetera, which, you know, is kind of the only thing that he can say. And it's kind of the only thing that you can put out, but like, you guys are obviously aware, fully aware, mm-hmm. that when you put stuff like that out, people are going, oh, Jesus, now here's Johan Juru again telling us that everything's going to be okay. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it, it, it is a weird one because on the one hand, people understand, like, there isn't much he can say and there isn't much you can put out. And then some people will say, well, don't say anything. And then other people will go, well, why have they gone quiet? So you're in this kind of maelstrom of having to do something, but you can't do other things. I mean, how, how does that play out when you're having to stand there with a guy who's just lost a game, you know, a professional footballer who's hurting inside because he's lost a game and you're standing there going, well, that wasn't a great day, was it? And he's like, mm, no, not really. And like, it's so limiting as a format. It must be difficult yeah. to, must be difficult to yeah. put yourself and that player through it in a way. Yeah, and ultimately, in recent years, when Arsenal lost, we tended to, you know, not well, for for a period we used to not get a player, and then you know there was internal mm. discussions. So listen, it re, you know, and this was sort of led from on high, really, that you know it doesn't reflect well on the club if nobody speaks up, and you know if you're going to speak to someone, you know, I know you've got you've got to. Um, contractually speak to the likes of Sky or BT Sport. Yeah. Arsenal.com was there to serve as, a, as an arm of that. 
and it is difficult and actually you know you have to sort of you know we sort of learn from that experience and sort of tried to amend it a bit and you sort of you go into one of those interviews thinking right what is the line that I want to get from this player that will serve him well and serve the club well yeah and sometimes you got it and sometimes you didn't it depends on the personality it depends how you know pissed off they are after a defeat for example but um yes yeah, t- i mean actually it's interesting that the whole question of going quiet it just it just doesn't really serve anyone because while people some people just tell you to shut up actually we we found that for example, the season before last, um, where, you know, the pretty crap season really for Mikel. Mm. But actually, when we lost, people still wanted, they might not pipe up and say, this is great content, we love it. But when we looked at the numbers, there was a lot of click-throughs to Mikel's press conferences to, to read the transcripts and stuff like that post-match. So people might be pissed off, but then when they've calmed down, they'll be like, right, I'll go back. And I'll, the, the, the stats bore out that people mm. still are emotionally invested enough in the club that, you know, the, you know, they will still go back and look at it. I mean, obviously, you know, it's death to a club. Apathy is death to a club. So, where, you know, you can handle the anger, but it's when people just don't care at all. That's when it's really dangerous, I think. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier about, like, having content there, you know, good ideas that are ready to go. Like, could you only uh, do bench cam, for example, on a game that Arsenal won? Is it- No. No, we did, it on, we did it on draws as well because we knew – People are into it, um, and if we lost, yeah, it's very, it's quite hard to do it for a loss because they it just just wouldn't wouldn't do much. But it was it was such a, I mean, it's a pretty simple bit of content, but it just performed, it always performed incredibly well. Mm. Um, but obviously, you know, if you draw but you've conceded a ninety third minute goal, then yeah. you know you're not going to put that. Out. Sure. You know, you, you, have, you have you have to you can't be tone deaf. The, the whole thing is about you know you have to. You have to just just listen to your audience, and you know you, you make a decision. And obviously, Premier League embargo sort of help you in a way because yeah. you're not able to put stuff out for you know whatever it is twenty four forty eight hours after a game anyway. So you, you get a bit of time to make that call. What about? I mean, the, the appetite I think for behind the scenes stuff must be huge from from fans, and you know, interviews and the the usual sort of pre game post game stuff is fine, and people sort of accept that. But but stuff like bench cam, um, I know other clubs went big on things like tunnel cam, um, which. I guess is fantastic content sometimes, probably other times there's not much. And then there's other times where you're like, I hope none of this footage gets out uh, and leaks to the internet because there'd be all kinds of stuff going on. So is that a consideration yeah. as well that, that, you know, trying to find a balance between giving people enough behind the scenes stuff and, you know, the hard work or whatever that goes on on the training, right? Because sometimes like the training videos, training ground videos, they look interesting and there's some good moments in it but really you're seeing like a bit of warm-up a couple of rondos you know someone does a nutmeg and everyone goes crazy but you're not getting like the bird's eye tactical view of the game preparation for the week ahead you know so that that's kind of that balance yeah yeah there's a that's where there's a tension between like media and the football departments where there's a big concern under Mikel and there probably still is, I'm sure there is, but about not giving anything away that could give a competitive advantage to, to mm. a rival. Um, you know, I was always pretty sceptical that, you know, Man City scouts would be sat there on, on Arsenal's YouTube channel watching our training videos. <laughs> but I, I accepted yeah. the point that, you know, there is, you have to, as much as you need to serve your audience, you have to serve the football department as well. But actually, Mikel's very, maybe it's because of his age and, and, and uh, the sort of era that he's sort of growing up in almost as a manager, he, he's very switched on to the, to the um, needing to serve your audience. And, and he's quite into the idea of sort of behind-the-scenes content. You know, he, he, I doubt very much he would have signed off on All or Nothing, for example, if it no. wasn't for, you know, he, he understands that. He understands that there is, there is a uh, benefit to the club opening its doors a little bit to show some of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, do, do, would he view that maybe as a way of, of connecting with fans? Because he has been very strong about that. And, look, he's, he's had a weird era to to begin his managerial career with the pandemic and lockdown and nobody being in the stadiums or, or you know and I think that has had a, a, a significant impact on on lots of things but then all throughout that he has 
spoken about wanting to connect with the fans. So little ways that they can do it internally, whether they seem obvious or not, might be part of it. Absolutely. he will, I mean, that was the overriding thing that I got from Mikel ever in the time that I worked with him, that it was, it was all about connect, using club media to connect with the fans. And mm. before the... North London derby, yeah, last season that there were, there were what was it three one at home that we won. Um, he was for weeks in advance. The message got through to us: we need to talk about the fans. We need to talk about the fans. And actually, you know, I got sick to the back teeth of writing another story about you know the fans are so important to us, and it felt yeah. very repetitive. But then, and I was you know I'm quite cynical anyway as a person. But then you got to the game, and actually it felt and maybe it's just because we won. But even before the game, mm. I felt like connection between the fans and the team that I mean that had so been building anyway but he placed such emphasis on it that it felt like actually there is method behind this and like it might be boring for us as a media team to have to churn out the same old story each time but if that message is getting through to enough people then it, it can have an effect and it did seem to work um, to a degree certainly in that game that's when I really noticed it. What about the you know I don't want to dwell on bad times or anything like that, but there is only so far, let's say, you can go in terms of a line of questioning or what you write. Like if, for example, on Ars blog, I can write whatever I want after a game goes bad. I can, you know, I can go to town if I feel like it. Whereas if you're working for the official website of a club, you know, there is a, a... I suppose yes, a responsibility. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you you have to. You're the public face, uh, digital public face, anyway. But you know, as a fan as well, there there must be times where that sort of crossover mm. between your own frustration and then what you can put on paper yeah. might be a little tough. No. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, actually, uh, writing wise, I found it easy because you, I can just sort of detach myself emotionally from that. Where I had a big trouble with that sort of separating the fan from the employee was uh, for away games uh, any I sort of you know I went to the majority of away or not the majority I went to a lot of away games anyway in a working capacity and just due to resource issues uh, we'd have the co-commentator the co-commentator is always the editorial lead which is what I was so I'd be sat there with Dan Roebuck mm. he'd be commentator and I'd be co-commentator you know I can remember times that Anfield, when we went through a terrible period, uh, uh, I'm not sure if we're through it actually yet, but terrible period, of just <laughs> constantly getting battered, battered by them. And sort of, you know, I think one time in particular, I remember sort of feeling, yeah, I've, I've, I've gone over the line here from, you know, employee into criticism. But I, got, I just got a bit bored of having to, you know, pull my punches all the time and say, mm. oh, they'll be unhappy with that, when it was just, they were just shit. <laughs> and, you know, you, obviously you can't quite go to that level, but no. you're like, you know, you, you can say sometimes, you know. And actually Dan was saying that afterwards he got some emails saying, oh, you know, it's quite refreshing. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it is hard. And, you know, your emotions do get the better of you sometimes. You know, I remember being in the press box for the first 5-2 against Tottenham. Mm. And, you know, the press box, for, for those of you listeners who don't know, is, is sort of quite, uh, what's the phrase, quite po-faced, really. You know, you're there to do a job, et cetera, et cetera. And you're not, yeah. you're not meant to celebrate and all the rest of it. But, you know, it was the first 5-2. Yeah, I really lost my shit, really, when we went 3-2 <laughs> up. And, you know, used to, and, you know, getting back, you know, Dirty looks from people, but I laugh. Get fucked. You know, I've been an Arsenal fan since I was five. I hate this lot. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm always going to celebrate beating Tottenham. So, uh, yeah, you know, what can you do? You what know, can you do? What yeah. Sort of this is probably the summary is yeah, there's lots of times where I was very unprofessional. So. Right. Well, that's fair. You know, football is an emotional game and we're all invested. Um, in a significant way with that. But let's talk a little bit about a match day then. So um, do you make your own way to games? Do you travel with the team? You know, is there a, a media minivan? How does that work? Uh, well, for home games, you obviously just make your own yeah. way there. Uh, for away games, you tend to travel. You, you don't travel with the team, no. You'd, um, you'd just, because they... they tend to go up, you know, the day before and stay in a hotel. And obviously, you know, mm. for financial reasons, that doesn't make much sense. I've got no need to be there, for example, the day before a game. So, yeah, um, yeah you just travel up in the morning on the train or whatever and you get yourself to the ground. You, you know, the, for an away game, there's probably, from the media side, there would be like, say, three. There might be me who's looking after co-commentary and match reports and interviews and 
website stuff and then there'll be someone who's looking after social stuff in the ground and then you'd have a, uh, a camera op as well who'd be there mm-hmm. and then you've got Dan or Dan Roebuck as a commentator and then you'd have a team of people working from home and then you've got a comms team so you, t- you either travel up as one or in, in part and then you'd, you tend to get there two hours before a game whether it's home or away really if it's a derby you'd get there maybe three hours just because there's just so much content you can get Yeah, and then it's a case of just basically yeah you just sort of you're pretty much you arrive you're straight into work and it's pretty full-on from then until at least well you know dependent result dependent you know it's you know if you beat Tottenham 5-2 like I mentioned earlier you'd be if that game finishes at four then you, you work until midnight without doubt so. yeah what about the player interview the post-game interview with whoever the uh, fortunate or unfortunate player might be is that is that something that you try and pre-arrange based on the game the opposition do you just wait and see how it plays out and then what do you have to do do you have to sort of send a message down or do you knock on the door and say um hello please will somebody talk to me uh, I mean, I wasn't allowed anywhere near the dressing room. Right, <laughs> it's very much the comms department that would control that. So you'd have a couple of couple of guys working from the comms team who'd be working there, and you know they'll do their best to get you get your player every game. And uh, but obviously, you know, if it's been a bad result, you know, it's, it's tough enough for them to get you know one one person out to speak to Sky or mm. BT, like I said, because contractual, they actually have to, or the club will get fined. Um, so. It, so they'll tend to just, you know, if, if Per Mertesack was a perfect example, he's a player, he'd always stand up and do it, and, you know, no matter, matter what the result, but you, you just, they'd be like, right, you're going to get Per after Sky because we just can't get anyone else. And like, you'll do your best, you'll do your best, but like some players are just not interested in, in doing the interviews, win, lose or draw really, and some 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 are, some will always stand, step up and do it. Um to be honest with you, like I've never been the greatest fan of post-match interviews, whether that's conducted by you know us or whether it's just watching mm. as a fan. I've never been hugely inter- interested. I'm much more interested in the manager interviews, but the player interviews, you know, they're, they're quite rightly, you know, well aware that what they'll say will get pulled out of all context. So like they're very unwilling to give anything away. Yeah, and I don't, I, I don't. I can't really remember off the top of my head in 10 years at Arsenal, a post-match interview with the player, good, bad or indifferent, where I thought, you know, that's a great interview. You know, Mm. they're just, there's a huge amount of value in them to me. Yeah. No, I mean, I get it. And you do see sometimes repetition if a player's on Sky and then he talks to you guys. Very often the phrasing is pretty much the same because they're just giving the same answers to to the same questions. Um, Much more opportunity with managers, though, um, you know, to tease out certain aspects of a game or performance, you know, whether it's good or bad or or something in the middle. There always seems to be a lot more to uh, to ask. Um, But very often I think you find just a lot of the questions are pretty um i was going to say vanilla but vanilla is great i don't know why people say that i think vanilla is excellent um you know very beige nobody's going to go to town for beige right um you know do do you sometimes or had you occasions where you sit there in a in a post-game situation where there's a really blindingly obvious question that nobody's asking all the time and it just wouldn't be our place as the club media yeah. arm to ask that and and journalistically that's quite uh that's quite frustrating and like and it, whether that's pre-match or post-match i mean there was a long period where you know i'm sure you remember it where it, there'd be a pre-match into a, a press conference and arsenal.com you know whoever was the representative there would be there to come on with two shit softball questions and to you know, start, yeah, you know team news. like you say you know van Persie's about to sign for man united and you know the first question is oh hi arsenal any team news and it's just you know you, feel, <laughs> you know you feel like a stooge you know this so actually I, I pushed pretty hard back and was like look and i don't it's not we don't do it anymore well, i say we i don't work there anymore but you know the club um, media don't do it anymore because unless there's really something pressing that we feel that the media wouldn't ask about necessarily mm. um, because there's a, a bit of important club messaging to get across that's when they might they might do it but yeah there was times where you know some of the guys in the in the press you know Mark Bryans or James Ollie would just sort of you know say to me before the press conference you know oh, what's, what's your bloody questions today I'm like oh I mean, I can't ask about this. I can't ask about that. I'll have to let somebody else ask that. So I'll ask him about what's the latest on, you know, 
Matthew Flamini's, you know, calf strain <laughs> or something like that. You know, that's all credibilities. But yeah, you sort of you have to have to swallow those sort of um, indignities just because there's so many other benefits to working for the club that you love. Yeah, well, that's it. Um, what about you know? Are there any standout players who who were good value down the years? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't want to um, ask you for like the worst ones because that's really telling tales out of school. But you know, I think we can focus on some of the guys who were who are good and good to work with and enjoyable. You know, when you got to to do those bits and pieces yeah. with them. I mean, this was always the most common common question whenever I met any of my mates if I hadn't seen for a while, and you know, from dotted around the around the country, and you'd meet up with them and say, "Gone." who's good about it like who's good and who's not basically from the players I mean I actually wrote down a few when I was thinking about it earlier like Wojciech Chesney I mean what a guy he is yeah he's as you'd imagine him you know took no filter whatsoever (laughs) loved working with him Jack Jack Wilshire, great bloke just really I I live in Hitchin which is where uh, Jack's from so we had a little slight connection there and he's just a normal guy just a really good bloke Mm. Uh, Danny Welbeck, lo- loads of time for Danny Welbeck. Um, I'm sure I'm going to forget a few, but like Bern Leno, a big in the current squad, Bern Leno, lovely bloke, just nice natural guy. Um, and then likes Rob Holding and, and KT um, Kieran Tierney. Yeah, again, both really nice guys, and you know, there's, you know, I, it was never my desire or intention to become like mates with the players. To be honest with you, I mm. knew that like. I, I live in a different sphere to them. I've, um, I don't think that's like co- a commonly held. Like uh, it, it probably is more common than uncommon at Arsenal. But like you know, there are some people who who it makes sense they have to get close to the players for various reasons. Um, uh, but for me, I was I was never sort of that that fussed about it. You know, mm. I, I got on with the guys that I got on with, but it didn't. I was never starstruck by any of them, and I was never too fussed if if you know they. They wouldn't give me the time of day. There, there weren't many who wouldn't do that, but um, you know, it was never, it was never my. I was much. I'm always. I love the club. I don't love the players. If you know what I sure. mean. Sure. Yeah. You know, obviously, as a fan, there are some players that I, I will always love. You know, I interviewed Thierry Henry, who you know, sure, what a guy, and he was a lovely bloke as well. And you know, Arsene Wenger for me was the one though, because, like I say, I was slightly starstruck. Uh, when I met him for the first time, but then I interviewed him every week, and you know he's just such a, a nice man. And I had a very weird, so, uh, weird, but probably my favourite experience at Arsenal was um, right towards the end in his last few weeks as, as working as Arsenal manager. And I went to go and do one of the final interviews we did with him in his office. And it's the first time I've been in his office, and we did the interview. And usually, when you, you did when you did the interview in room ten at the training ground. Uh, that's where you usually interviewed Arsene. And he'd sort of, you know, he'd say, we finished, yeah. And he'd say, thanks. And he'd walk off, shake your hand and walk off. But this time we were in his office, he just sort of lingered a bit. Maybe it's because we were in his office and he wanted us to get out. But he uh, <laughs> he sort of said to me, you know, we, I don't know how we got onto it, but he said something about languages. And I said, well, you know, uh, he said, do you speak any other languages? And I said, no, 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 I... I'm very English. I sort of, you know, <laughs> very ignorant. I just speak English louder when I go abroad. And he laughed. He said, uh, and I said, oh, but my wife is, uh, she, she grew up in Brazil. So she speaks English, Spanish, Portuguese. And he's, he was very interested by that. And he said, oh, you know, what, is, she, is she very happy? And I was thinking, well, I'll send it very much depends on what I've done, really, to be honest. <laughs> and he said, oh, does that mean she gets very angry? Because they're a bit mad sometimes, aren't they? You know, the, when they get angry, you know, they're very hot blooded. And I said, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I told him this story about how, uh, you know, my wife and me had had a, a sort of playful row. In, in my mind, I thought it was a playful row, but she sort of, and I went to go and brush my teeth and she walked into the bathroom. She poured a bin over my head <laughs> and <laughs> Arsene was la- laughing his head off. And like afterwards, it's like, bloody hell, that's a surreal experience. This guy that I grew up, you know, just adoring, then making him laugh, telling him about my wife sort of going mad at me. It's a very uh, strange experience. Um, but, yeah, I loved working with him. And, you know, it was very, to me, it was very sad the way that it sort of, mm. you know, it went towards the end. Um, but I was very pleased with the way it was sort of, the club handled it in terms of when he handed in his in his or he announced he was leaving. Um, and then the way that it was all done, I thought actually was handled really, really well. Yeah. That, was, that was nice. And he always... Actually, there was... Yeah, go on. Sorry. 
Go ahead. No, I'm no. just going to say, actually, it was an interesting point on that. Is just that um, we had uh, about three minutes notice that that was happening with Wenger leaving. Wow. I think, and that's not an exaggeration. I was literally um, arriving at the train station in Hitchin just to get my train into, into the office and got a call from Chris, who's my boss, and said, listen, mate, can you go home? There's a big announcement. I've got no idea what it is, but you'll get an email and it's to go out ASAP. So I was legged it home and then got the email from the head of communication saying, you know, I'll send Menga it's you know we'll leave at the end of the season I was like bloody hell and then you, you sort of set it up for the website and uh you know you've got about three minutes to do it and you're thinking and, and this, I'm, I'm not uh, egotistical enough to to pretend this is like you know holding the fucking nuclear codes or something like that yeah, yeah, yeah. it felt like if I press go too early on this this is going to cause all sorts of shit and um, it felt, you know, there's there's a few moments in my career at Arsenal where you think, oh, you're sort of living through a bit of history here. Um, and that was one of them, like pressing publish on that, yeah. something that you know is going to cause massive shockwaves and just, just nobody had. I think there'd been a few whispers among the media, but nothing, no one had firmed it up at all. It was a... Um, it was a, a, a peculiar, but, um, yeah, strange, strange moment. And then, obviously, at that point, you hit that publish and then suddenly you've got, you know, you sort of as a content team and a video team, you sort of, it's almost like a war cabinet. You sort of then go into a room, you try and work out, right, we've got, we've got to try and sum up this guy who's 22 years at the club. We've got to sum it up and you've got to create an entire content plan to, over the next, whatever it was, three or three or four weeks to, yeah. to sum it all up. It was a, um, it was a really intense period, but uh, one, I'm actually really proud of what, what we produced at the time because, you know, I don't think any of us would have liked him to have left without sort of doing him justice. And sure. I, I did sort of feel as a fan and as an employee, I thought, yeah, we've done him justice here. It's, I mean, that's amazing to think that, like, you know, because I guess everybody assumes that everything that goes on behind the scenes, everybody knows everything, but you're saying you had possibly the the most seismic announcement in Arsenal's recent history with three minutes notice. Like, I know that's yeah. a slightly unusual situation, but um, I don't mean to say that there isn't joined up thinking, but it shows that there's probably a little bit of distance between, you know, areas of the club that people think are immediately or always in connection with each other. Like people are looking at, I mean, Jesus, people are looking at Arsenal's tweets and going, what's the first letter of that one and the second letter of that one? And, you know, this is the kind of world we live in right now. And maybe there are times where that comes true, but there must be other times where there, there are things happening behind the scenes that you're kind of going, okay, well, uh, we hope this doesn't get out or all of a sudden you're getting uh, information about a, an event or an announcement or whatever it might be with, with short notice. I mean, transfers are the perfect yeah. example, to be perfectly honest on that. Um, you know, I, I always had a wry smile when you'd sort of, you know, you'd be, you know the fans are desperate for an announcement and everybody, you know, you tend to know when the signings are going to be made. And we might have all the all the transfer stuff ready to go, but you know, Arsenal's uh, a pretty well. It's not pretty. It's a very conservative club with a with a lower KC um, in terms of you know it, they will not go live with, until everything is sorted. Basically, mm. and I don't know why that is, and that that caused a fair bit of sort of tension between maybe us as a content team because we were like, listen, everybody knows it's happening. Why is this dragging on? And you know, yeah. we. Um, you know, the Gabriel Jesus transfer the other day, obviously I was looking at it from afar now, this, this time as a fan, but obviously with some, some insight into it. And I mean, even to be honest with you, I thought that one was drag on quite a lot longer than I was expecting, considering I, I know when they captured the content. Um, but yeah, with transfers, just sort of going back to the original question is, yeah, we we didn't really get any prior insight you might get a day you might get a day or two mm. not before you announce you might get a day you might get a day before you get your access to the player um and i i'm guessing it just it, it works for the club to you have to control that information because you know clubs are multifaceted beasts in terms of so many people the more people who know a bit of information the more chance there is of it leaking and, and that wouldn't be done on purpose but it's uh, mm. It's, it's stuff just gets, seems to get out, doesn't it? So, like, we, we would actually, you know, 
we wouldn't have that information. And we're like, you know, as a content team, we were like everyone, you're waiting for David Ornstein to tweet it or, or Jane. <laughs> uh, it really was. It was, you know, I remember the Nicholas Pepe one saying to, you know, director of comms, like, you know, this one looks like it's got legs. Is it like, shall we start preparing? He's like, honestly, oh, like, you know, I don't think it's close. And then sort of a day later, you're like, we've got Nicholas Pepe on Wednesday, whatever. Right. <laughs> you're like, Christ. Wow. So, yeah. So, and it, I think that's, you know, that's through no fault of anyone. I don't, no one's sort of trying to withhold information from you on that side. I think it's just that these things just suddenly just speed up hugely. Yeah. And then suddenly it plays in the country. You know, you look at the Fabio Vieira stuff, you know, that, you know, by the time that the, the Portuguese journalist had announced it, suddenly, you know, by 24 hours later, the club I know were filming content with them at, at Colney. So it's a but transfers are, really exciting to work on um because you know that the reaction they're going to get yeah. you know the, the fans are going to go wild for it and you want to do do justice to that and you know the way that we announced sort of changed all the time over the years but they were they were the most exciting ones to work on you know the the one that yeah i don't want to dwell on it too much but the one that <laughs> I think the best announcement we did at the club was the one for Aubameyang, but um, we'd managed to, uh, through an internal error, manage to bloody announce that the that night was, before. When, uh, that was the Mkhitaryan we, uh, thing, right? Well, I mean, that was unbelievable, right? Because we had Mkhitaryan the week before, and we didn't even know we were signing Aubameyang, but we'd seen the rumours. So we were like, listen, let's, get, let's just get this. We had Henrik on a green screen. We were like, let's just get this. You know, Yo, Pierre, do you want to come out here? And we'll just get it. And if we sign a Bamiyang, then we've got a nice yeah. plug into it. And we 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 uh, un- we underestimated the the powers of the Arsenal fan base in terms of lip reading. Obviously, never <laughs> never never underestimate the power of Arsenal Twitter when it comes to transfers. It's yeah. it's amazing. Incredible. And then, I mean, but yeah, it was uh, incredible. But yeah, it was always. Um, you want to create something really unique for every transfer because you know that's your big moment and it's still it's still the most exciting moment I think in the summer isn't it when even from the point of you know you know a player sign when David Ornstein says it's pretty much done mm. you know it's pretty much done right yeah and uh, but I think even now as a fan knowing the way it is you know it's not official till it's official yeah and uh, yeah it's still it's still exciting to press press the button and you know here's here's our latest signing you know yeah I mean I do remember back in the day before your time at Arsenal.com, so this is definitely not on your shoulders, but I remember Arsenal listing Jersey Dudek on the official website uh, when he was supposed to join and he ended up joining Liverpool, of course. And I'm not sure if that informs the the need to get everything done and dusted and and fully signed before they make anything official. I mean, it's common sense anyway. Um, There's another another one which was in my time, which which never really got out, actually, which was, you know, uh, Nuri Sahin. Uh, which yeah. I think everybody knew was going to. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't a huge secret that we were going to sign him on loan, but we'd done the interviews, we'd done the photo shoot, we'd done the whole lot. We were literally had all the content ready to go, and then suddenly we were told, "Hold that!" And then you know, lo and behold, two days later, I think he signed for Liverpool on loan. Mm. And I don't think he really did a huge amount at Liverpool, but it was just it was just an indicator. That, yeah, it's, even when you think it's like definitely done, stuff can still go still go wrong somewhere behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean that's it. And these days, you know, you see like someone's brother-in-law who's along for the day post something on their Instagram, and like, yeah. who's that in the background? That looks like Stuart McFarlane's beard. I can figure it out, you know. Um, but I mean, is there um, just sort of finally on this? Is there is there pressure when you're in that uh, environment because? It now feels like the, I mean, everyone loves a signing and all fans love signings and new players come to their club, but more and more it feels like there's a sort of uh, an event kind of aspect to the uh, the announcement or the, you know, the, the, the player video. Like, so every club does their own thing and everyone's trying to make a nice, innovative almost bite-sized bit of content like no one wants to sit through you know nine hours of lord of the rings uh type stuff to to get a player over the line but but when you're in that um you know content group if you want to call it that is it is there pressure do you feel pressure or is that kind of the most um perhaps the most creative aspect of the job um that i mean it's definitely the most creative aspect of the job um there was there was pressure 
Um, but it was a pressure that we placed upon ourselves um, because we know how vocal the Arsenal fan base is mm. and you want to do them justice because the thing is, you you know you're never going to be the first to announce. It's so it's so rare that Arsenal announce a, a signing and it's not leaked out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't to be honest with you, I can't really remember it happening. Um, so your value is that the, you've got the you get the access that no one else is getting. And yeah. so you, so how do you create something that's going to like really live long uh, and and live in people's memories? And I, I take it back to the Aubameyang um, announcement that we did, which really incredible work i think by the johnny the motion graphics guy and the carl and the rest of the video team at the time it got out everybody knew we were signing a bamiang but like you want to produce something it's this is a mega exciting deal right you know yeah. you've got to produce something really spectacular to um to to f- uh, fulfill the needs of the audience on social so there is pressure but it's it's pressure that you enjoy because you know, this is the most exciting aspect of the job. This is the bit where the fans are going to tell you whether you've basically you've got it right or you, or you've messed it up. So yeah, there was pressure, but it was it was enjoyable. Were there ever uh, were there ever any sort of that were nixed, having come up with an idea and gone down the road a little bit, and people went, uh, no, no, you you would have to you'd have to get sort of sign off before you right. went down the road. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there was an idea that I had that I was gutted never to, to get over the line um, at Arsenal. And I won't say what it is just because they know, they know internally what the idea is, but uh, <laughs> I won't say it. It'd be quite, it would be quite ambitious, but I don't know if it'll happen. All right. They weren't going to do it for, you know, it would have to be for a mega signing. But uh, yeah. Well, we'll see what mega signings they have left. Just, um, <laughs> just finally, then um, new season kicks off in less than a month. Are you excited about what lies ahead? And as a fan, like where where we might go with the likes of Gabriel Jesus, Fabio Vieira, and whoever else might be coming in. Yeah, I'm really excited actually because I mean, number one, I've got I've got my season tickets. I'm really excited about going back as a fan and taking my oldest son along. Uh, mm. He's been to like two or three games. He's only he's only eight, so he's but he's like you know football mad now. So it's exciting to that he will now get to experience like you know I don't think he realizes how much it's cost me, but like <laughs> he's just sort of like okay, great, we're going we're going on to see Arsenal, are we? As if, yeah, as if yeah. that's normal, you know, little spoiled little prick. But like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm but I'm, I am excited about Mikel and what he's doing, and I you know. You have these back and forth, don't you? When we when we put in a bad performance, we we look bad, don't mm. we? But then, like, I think the general direction of travel looks really positive. I'm really excited about seeing Jesus up front, and you know, I was listening to Tim talking about it with you on, on the Askcast, and you know, the fact that he's going back to play as a number nine, I think, is really exciting. I'm really excited about Vieira just because he, I mean, he does look slight, but like, uh, mm. he might take a while to bulk up a bit, but you know. And, you know, it's just a really exciting crop of players, I think. I think, um, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm 41 now, so I can't get too bogged down in the transfer stuff. And, and you know, I, you know, very much of the, you know, we'll see, just see what, whatever happens, happens. I can't, I can't lose my mind because we're not going to sign Rafinha. Um, sure. It's just, you know, it's just, it's just what it is, isn't it? But I'm excited. I think, you know, I was as gutted as everybody about, about what happened at the end of last season, especially with, you know, who it was that got fourth place. But, sort of taking emotions aside, you get a bit of distance, you think, yeah, this is, I think this is exciting. It feels like we're moving in the right direction. It feels like there's a plan, you know, much more so than, you know, Mm. if you look at Man United, for example, you know, it feels like we're steps ahead of them in terms of a plan. And listen, they might go and spend 400 million quid and they'll finish above us in in the thing, but at at least it feels like we're we're taking, it's building blocks, uh, building towards something um, Mm. substantial. Yeah, well, look, uh, fingers crossed we can keep uh, keep going in the right direction. Uh, that was really interesting, fascinating behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, Rob, thanks very much indeed. Thanks, Andrew. Really enjoyed the chat. And, um, yeah, hopefully it's uh, not, not killed off all my relationships with people still at Arsenal. So. <laughs> <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
it. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you very much indeed to Rob. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Rob Kelly 2 at Rob Kelly 2 Hope you enjoyed that. Something a little bit different, some behind-the-scenes info about what goes on, making the content and all the bits and pieces at arsenal.com. And let's hope that they are busy during the summer, uh, between now and the start of the season, the end of the window, of course, making more announcement videos and needlessly delaying more signings until such time as we see our new players in in red and white. That was a little tongue-in-cheek there, right? I'm going to leave it there for now. Just want to say that this week there is no end bit, no bit after the music. It, um, it just doesn't feel quite appropriate. But James and I will be here on Sunday with an Arscast Extra. So we'll be around to give you another podcast over the weekend. We'll be here on Sunday. We can talk about the game that happens in Germany and hopefully maybe a new rumor or two with regards to signing or maybe even some concrete information. Who knows? For now, though, as always, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for listening, downloading, sharing, and all the rest. Oh, I did want to mention that we have launched the new Fantasy Football League over on Patreon. Um... You can join in if you're a Patreon member. Go to uh, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. You'll see a post there which gives you all the information you need to join the league. It is a brand new league this year. You won't automatically roll over into the new one. So if you are a member, if you are a Patreon member uh, and you want to get involved, you do have to sign up to this brand new league. So don't get caught out there. We do have great prizes to give away. First prize this year is 500 euros plus an Arsenal shirt. We've got a second prize of 300 euros plus an Arsenal shirt third prize 150 euros and an Arsenal shirt and fourth prize gets an Arsenal shirt and the amazing much sought after fourth place trophy so if you want to join in if you want to get involved patreon.com forward slash arseblog join myself and James on Sunday for the Arsecast Extra until then have yourselves a great weekend take it easy folks cheers bye bye deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.